The e-resource of this episode is Law Depot Legal Forms. Whatever your legal need, Law Depot can help. Law Depot provides customizable legal templates with step-by-step guidance. Find do-it-yourself legal documents, forms, and contracts for estate, real estate, financial, business, family. You'll find Law Depot at jocolibrary.org slash research slash Law Depot legal forms. When it became more memoir. And yeah, in fact, so okay. in fact, I kind of did approach it very just factually, but I realized that it was a better story when it was from my perspective and my kind of uh, editorializing for the for, or, or or my unobjectivity yeah. really brought a, a different aspect to it. Joko Library uncovered. Hey, Charles. Hey, Dave. Have you ever had too much of a good thing? Um. Uh, yeah, I think I have. Yeah, like too much ice cream. Sure. Or, uh, too much time out in the sun, get a sunburn. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, we kind of ran into that issue with the podcast, didn't we? We got sunburns. <laughs> no. 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 We 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 do uh, our show here inside at the Johnson oh, okay. County Library Central Resource Library in a conference room. Uh, no sun. No, um, when we were when we were recording the Casey True Crime uh, episode, we had uh, a segment with uh, Johnson County Library local history librarian Amanda Wallmeyer, and she was talking about all the different resources that are available for researching history here at the library. That's true. Yeah, we had that segment, and there was all that information about research, and we also brought in an author, Jim Cosgrove, right. who you may know. Mr. Stinky Feet. Yep, Mr. Stinky Feet. He has performed at a number of our summer reading celebrations. We did not confirm if his feet are truly <laughs> stinky. We did not. That was uh, if, if, you, if you're tuning into this episode wondering if that question is going to be answered. That was an oversight on our part. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, but we did talk to him about his book, Ripple, right? Uh, which is about the murder of one of the sons of the McGonagall family, which right. is a big name around the Kansas City area. Yeah. Uh, and, and that son was kind of this free spirit who had done a lot of hitchhiking and found his demise in South Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. And and it, it was a, a cold case. Um, however, since it didn't take place in Kansas City, though, you know, tied to a Kansas City family, we really went back and forth. It's like, oh, should we include this in the uh, KC True Crime episode or not? And honestly, we just did not have enough time to put everything in that episode we wanted to. Right. Wanted to. Yep. Yeah. It was, a, it was a long episode as it was. So we decided to spin it out into this separate one right. and link it together with the interview with Amanda and right. kind and, of tie it in under its own own topic of creative nonfiction. So creative nonfiction is really about historical storytelling. So there's a real art to it. You've got the facts that you've researched thoroughly, but then you need the language that brings it all to life. And so you're talking about uh, language that provides uh, the context, the setting, uh, the scene, and really uh, brings a good story to life. And, you know, it makes for what is good storytelling. And so 
We will get into that interview with Jim Cosgrove and the wonderful resources with Amanda. But first, some news. Library news. So this is from Jim Cosgrove's book, Ripple, A Long Strange Search for a Killer. Our story is no different from what a lot of families have dealt with. A child, a brother, whoever. They got murdered in a violent way that didn't make any sense. Really, it's just another story of a hideous violent crime perpetrated by a stupid with a handgun that should have never been on the street to begin with. Of course, you didn't say that, though. I did not say that. Yeah, you were reporting that from one of the people that, uh, in your books. Yes, yeah. that was. Uh, and and I'm glad you picked that because that is really kind of wraps up this story in a nutshell. And it was a quote by Mike McGonigal, the brother of Frank McGonigal, who disappeared from Kansas City in 1982 and was murdered. Yeah. And... Um, it's a, a fascinating uh, a book. Once again, that's called Ripple, and uh, that is here in our collection. Um, before we get too far into this, we should introduce uh, Jim. And uh, I should mention that we also have local historian, uh, local history librarian, Amanda Walmeyer. Yes. And of course, this guy everybody knows and loves. Charles. Charles. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I'm not sure where you, you got this from, Charles, but it says that Cosgrove is a nationally recognized, award-winning children's entertainer known, uh, known by young fans as Mr. Stinky Feet. He is also the author of three children's books, and Everybody Gets Stinky Feet, a collection of inspirational essays from his time as a parenting columnist for the Kansas City Star. So this, this is what I find... Um, just really fascinating, Jim. You say in your book that you're not really a fan of true crime and you tend to gravitate to happier things. Yes. So why write a book that is described on the cover as a riveting true crime storytelling, chilling and unforgettable? Yes. Well, this story, I came on this story 20 now, seven or eight years ago, and I approached it really as a um uh, as a look at a family and yeah. what a family goes through with tragedy that was my focus i grew up in a in a big irish catholic family family the mcgonagall's are a big irish catholic family whom i knew growing up and i was fascinated by family dynamics yeah. and by birth order and how families deal with it so i went into it with that angle really not thinking of it as a true crime story right well as it unfolded, <laughs> it became a true crime story. And I also intended not to be part of the story. Yeah. I was trained as a journalist to stay out of the story. Well, let, let, let me yeah. jump in there because um, so much of the book is about the telling of the story. Yes. And so you were a newspaper reporter for a time. And so uh, you feel like those skills helped you in the telling of the story? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I... I did my, well, at the beginning, I did my best to be the reporter and stay out of the story. And my, my skills as an investigator and a researcher certainly helped dig and dig deeper. And as it became, <laughs> as it unfolded as really a true crime story, I, you know, I went with it. Yeah. Uh, and I consider it as much a memoir as a true crime piece. 
Yeah. Yeah. Was, was it difficult to kind of step back and have the kind of objectivity that you would, would, would want when you have such a connection to that family? That was difficult. And that's when it became more memoir. And yeah. in fact, so okay. in fact, I kind of did approach it very just factually, but I realized that it was a better story when I told, when it was from my perspective and my kind of uh, editorializing for the, for, or, or, or my unobjectivity yeah. really brought a, a different aspect to it. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I find it to be a really challenging story to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, it's a cold case. It's still a cold case. Correct. For this genre, I feel like the climax for those books usually are the murder. Or the solving of the murder. Right. You don't have that. And so um, do you feel like, you know, part three of your book, that's really the the resolution of, um, you know, kind of focusing on on the the family and having them come to accept it and piece together what what might have happened? Yes. So some of the feedback I've gotten from some real true crime fans has been, where's the Hollywood ending? You know, (laughs) where's the, or or where's the frontier justice? You know, where is, Mm -hmm. who's going to pay for this kind of a thing? And really for me, I think it's more powerful where I ended. And, And I think I ended in a place that kind of surprised me a little bit or was different from where where it would have ended had I finished writing the story when I started. So I started in 1995 as my master's thesis. I submitted it as my thesis and graduated and all that. Okay. But it was never published, and I didn't really f- wrap up the story completely in, in, uh, until uh, the pandemic when I had time to write. And so uh, I was, a, you know, I've, I was... I was married. I would have two children since then. I have just, my life has changed. And I think I approached it differently. And I ended in a place of compassion, mm. heavy compassion, not only for clearly the McGonagall family, but also for the perpetrator, for the alleged perpetrators too. Yeah. Like what, like, would I have been any different had I grown up in the, where they grew up and how they grew up? Yeah. So, um, and and that kind of surprised me, but I was very pleased with how that felt as a writer. Like, yeah, yeah that's what the story needed. Yeah, that. and you know, it's that that family element. It goes mm-hmm. back to that quotation in the beginning that, that yeah. we had from your book. It's 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 about these senseless crime stories. I mean, right. senseless crime stories about senseless crimes and and unnecessary violence. And and I think that's the part. I think people get excited. They hear, oh, Casey. Mm-hmm. true crime and, and they're listening mm-hmm. to this episode but we will emphasize in this that these are real people these are families yes we, we thank you sometimes forget about you know uh-huh. uh, the the victims and right. the struggle and yeah i start every presentation i make about this book with that point every so i i, I do a lot of book clubs and presentations at uh, libraries and civic places. And I start with that very thing. This, just remind everybody, this is a story about Frank McGonigal, who was a son, a brother, uh, an uncle, a friend. And, and, you know, when we read, and when we read nonfiction, sometimes we forget that, the, wait, these are not fictional characters. These are real people and real yeah. families involved. Yes. So, so Jim, then... 
researching this and talking about people and connections, did you learn anything more about Kansas City and like the history of, of crime in Kansas City at all? And maybe this would be another a good time to bring in Amanda since you're our local history librarian. Mm-hmm. Um, w- what kinds of connections did you make to your own life or your family or the people you grew up around? Yes, I started in Brookside, uh, Casey Moe Brookside, which is where I grew up. And I went with what I knew, but as certainly as a reporter, I dug in deeper about what, like, what are the origins of Brookside, mm-hmm. which, which brought me to J.C. Nichols, which brought me to uh, Redlining, which brought me to, uh, yeah. you know, all kinds of uh, Kansas City history that really does kind of tie in, for me anyway, with how I was brought up and why I was brought up, like why... You know, I, I didn't realize that there were places that where neighborhoods weren't just Catholic and Jewish. I mean, that, that was it. Those the only people I knew growing up were Catholic and Jewish <laughs> people because that's all who lived in our neighborhood. Sure. And, you know, as a kid, you then, you, then you grow, uh, ex- expand. But, but where did all the Protestants go? Well, they all went to Johnson County. <laughs> and why? And so, yeah, yeah, that was fascinating for me. Yeah. <laughs> So, Amanda, do, do you read or listen to or watch true crime? I do. I am a murderino. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you listen to my favorite murder, you will understand that reference. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Jim brings up a good point that history puts our modern experience into context mm-hmm. of why things are the way they are. Uh, speaking of the redlining thing, I'll put in a brief plug for our dividing lines tour yes. that you can find online uh, sure. to kind of explore that a little further. Um, but yeah, back to true crime, the need to know all of this information, I think comes from a very primal place in us to stay safe, to care about others, builds empathy. Um, and you can do this all by exploring your local history. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. And I will put it, there's a lot of fascinating local history as mm-hmm. tied, of course, tied to true crime, and mm-hmm. which is what you guys do. Yeah. Uh, and since I've written this, I have received emails from people wanting to tell, like, hey, I've got a story. Or mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I find it fascinating. So yours is a true story. Mm-hmm. The blurring of what's real and what is not of Kansas City true crime really fascinates me mm-hmm. because I've started to see um, so so many mentions of Kansas City crime in the shows that I watch. I'm thinking of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the television show Fargo, mm-hmm. but uh, season four uh, was based in Kansas City. So at the beginning of every show, there's a, a little uh, disclaimer. It's not really a disclaimer. It says... This is a true story. At the request of the survivors, the names have been changed out of respect for the dead. The rest has been told exactly as it occurred. Not true. Not true <laughs> Not at true. all. I was so disappointed after I researched that. Huh. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, but after you know reading directly from the Cohen brothers, that's part of the mystique of it. They want it to seem like it's true. And mm-hmm. I didn't. I, you know, I didn't doubt it for a second. Um, and I will say that, and Amanda, you may corroborate this, but in the, in the telling of local lore, fable starts to kind of weave its way in uh, yeah. just b- with the passage of time and the retelling of it. And I found that out not only 
you know, the story takes place part in Kansas City and part in South Carolina. Right. Same thing going on in the South Carolina part. As people told stories, eh, things got a little foggy and people had different approaches. So that's how. And it's all personal memory changes so much over the years. Right. And then the lore that comes in with things like that, like for Kansas City, for example, Pendergast was in charge for how many years and all the mafia ties and everything Mm -hmm. has built up into this legend Mm -hmm. in Kansas City that maybe 40 percent of it is true. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And but but so much of it is is so compelling um, when uh, you you talk about uh, was it the Savella family? Mm hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, how they were, um, you know, uh, followed for, for so many years and um, uh, sur- surveilled. And uh, ultimately, when uh, there was a betting issue with Super Bowl four, right. a wiretap catching, you know, the, the crime. It's so fascinating that that became referenced a number of times in different uh, uh, movies, you know, about yes. the mafia and maybe even the Godfather movies. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. They do. They do mention in one of the Godfather movies, they do mention Kansas City. It's just one of their outposts. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. There you go. Yes. And speaking of Kansas City Mafia, I need to put a plug in for my buddy, Terrence O'Malley, who is a local author and filmmaker who has uh, done a deep dive on local mafia. He's done a um, Black Hand Straw Man is one about the uh, Kansas City Mafia. He's done another one about the the relationship between Tom Pendergast and Harry Truman. Hmm. And he's done a story that has a personal tie for him called Nellie Don, A Stitch in Time, which is a story about uh, the kidnapping of Nell Donnelly, who was uh, at one time the owner of the largest female-owned business in the United States and during uh, really in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s really went on. Yeah, fascinating stories. So, uh, Amanda, do you have any good resources for people if they're looking through the collection off the top of your head that you can think of um, that people might check out if they're looking for other reading or materials? To, to look at true crime? Yeah, so clearly in our nonfiction section, we have a very wide array of uh, true crime articles. If you're wanting to look into, kind of do your own research on your own local true crime story, uh, we have a lot of resources that were not available like in the 90s when you were doing mm-hmm. your research. Yes. Uh, so we have... Um, newspapers, local newspapers on microfilm, which would have been available in the 90s. Um, but uh-huh. yes, they were available on microfilm and microfiche, and I had to go and do, now I can do it online. It's exactly, so yes. much easier. That's exactly <laughs> so where I was going that. with that. So the Kansas City Star, back to 2013, you can find digitized online through the portal where you find uh, the daily Kansas City Star on our website, and the then library, yes, and the newspapers. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. And uh, we're in the process of digitizing all of the microfilm for our local papers, including the Johnson County Sun and the Johnson County Herald, which were the two like major newspapers for all of Johnson County. Um, In addition to that, we have uh, maps and um, directories. If you're looking for like where businesses were trying to get a feel for what the neighborhood looked like or where people lived, 
You can do reverse searches on uh, just the house number, or you can look up by name if you know the name. Um, How about photos? We have like, lots of photos online. Uh, JocoHistory.org is our partnership with the Johnson County Museum and several other organizations in in the county. And they have pictures from all of the prominent families, I think, mm-hmm. in Johnson County, plus plus some. And then uh, we also have several of the Shawnee Mission School District yearbooks digitized. So if you're looking for yearbooks, photos of uh, family members or maybe true crime related people, uh, you can find those there. You can also find some famous people. We like to call it the Ted Lasso effect. Mm -hmm. We've seen a big jump in uh, searches for Jason Sudeikis on Joko history. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, those kind of resources would not have been available pre-digital era unless you made an appointment and had time to dig through archives and boxes. And I really enjoyed when you talked about your research being in the moldy boxes in your basement, because that's yes, where indeed. a lot of research is. Right. And I will say I used the high school mm-hmm. yearbook. There's a national one as well. It's it's spotty. Mm-hmm. But to try to locate some photos of these, um, the the um, uh, those were alleged to have per- perpetrated the crime against Frank. But, uh, I, you know, some one guy could not find. The only thing I could find was a third grade photo of this oh, guy. Oh, my gosh. And then after that, he kind of disappeared. He, he didn't show up for picture day or mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. change schools. I don't know. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I looked in all the surrounding areas. But anyway, that's it's. Right. I love that part of research, by the mm-hmm. way. Yeah, it makes it so thank, much easier to have that online resource. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But if it's not online, we do have interlibrary loan where you can request newspapers from South Carolina uh, on microfilm and they can come to the central branch and you can look at the microfilm right here at home. And you mentioned South Carolina because that's where um, much of your book takes place because that's where uh, Frank ended up. Um, So uh, in addition to all those resources for people that want to research um, for perhaps writing or just studying true crime. Um, We have a number of items in our collection. We'll try to make sure to include those in uh, our show notes and make a playlist, but those include... jocolibrary.org slash uncovered for that list. Yes, and uh, that includes not only uh, nonfiction, but uh, fiction and some movies and television shows. And, uh, of course, that includes uh, Jim's book, Ripple, and uh, just a few final questions for you. How, how long did that process take you again to write that book? Well, I, like I said, I finished my thesis in 95. It yeah. sat in a box for about 20 years. Yeah. And then I, after the retelling of the story, I told the story hundreds of times. And my, uh, my nieces really encouraged me. They got into true crime when they were, you know, in teens in their tw- early 20s. And they said, you got to do this story. And they listened to podcasts. They, oh, this is perfect for a podcast. And so I, I brought those, those files up from the basement, dusted them off literally, and dove in. And so it was published 26 years after I started the research. So persistence. And I will remind those of you who like to write, it's never too late. Don't go anywhere. There's more Joko Library Uncovered to come. (laughs) 
So there's so many resources out there for writers wanting to pursue creative nonfiction. And we turn to a really great website called Find Your Creative Muse. And uh, we'll have the link to that in our show notes. The subtitle is Learn How to Write Poetry, Fiction, Personal Essays, and More. And the blog post that I'm going to quote a a few things from is entitled Creative Nonfiction, Writing About History. He writes, a historical text presents the facts and causes and effects and significance. Creative nonfiction does the same, but also adds narrative, including storytelling, dialogue, setting, character development. Writing nonfiction history relies on an authoritative tone and is written in the third person. Yeah, so, you know, I feel like what we heard from Mr. Cosgrove today very much fits that. Would you not agree? I would, yeah. And and having read through the book myself, I would agree that that is definitely a good example of creative nonfiction. He, it's told uh, all the, the backstory facts are there, but it's more fleshed out. You get more sense of character and, and, and more sense of that setting and that, that South Carolina. I've never been there, but it, it feels like yeah. I I could describe like what was the sensation oh, of being sure. out there on the dock or yeah. or uh, in the woods. So, yeah. 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 Uh, Mr. Hood continues. Uh, he says the five R's of creative nonfiction, writing about history as a creative nonfiction writer involves real life. So writing about real people, actual events and actual places, research, collecting facts from the library, interviews, Internet. Writing, which does not start with an R. I don't know if you can trust yeah. this guy. <laughs> um, writing literary journalism essays, autobiographies, and biographies. Reflection, sharing personal thoughts, feelings, perspectives. And then reading. Read autobiographies, biographies, and other informative books about history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I thought that was all really an interesting way to present Mr. Cosgrove's uh, story with this idea that it is a really good example of creative nonfiction. Joko Library Uncovered. Well, if you enjoyed today's topics, you might just be interested in these recommendations from our collection. First, Charles Choices. And today I'm recommending Dodge City, Wyatt Earp, Bat Masterson, and the Wickedest Town in the American West by Tom Clavin. C-L-A-V-I-N. You'll see it in the show notes. Um, This one is a good example of of kind of what we were talking about where he sets up all the facts, but he goes into the storytelling and, and tells all of these fascinating about all these characters that were just coming through Dodge city all at the same time. And they went on to be these huge names in um, the mythology of the American West. So he, he digs into the facts around those, those individuals. 
The other book I'm recommending is The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, which is, if you're interested in kind of like the crime side of things and the the creative nonfiction, this is right up your alley. Uh, it is about a serial killer, H.H. Holmes, and I think he's considered one of America's first or America's first serial killer. Uh, and the story that they tell around the Chicago World's Fair and his activities and the murders that he's committing, uh, it's it's a, all woven together in this narrative that I really enjoyed. Excellent. Well, next we have a Dave's double feature. Why not Capote, which is a biographical drama about the author Truman Capote and his writing of the nonfiction novel In Cold Blood. I don't know if you knew this, but that took place, uh, that murder happened in 1959. It was the murders of four uh, members of the Clutter family in a small farming community in Holcomb, Kansas. My mom grew up in Winfield, Kansas, and she said it was just shocking that that kind of crime happened so close in such a small, you know, peaceful community. And so anyways, I think this is a great example of creative nonfiction because Capote did a wonderful job really capturing all those details, investigating this murder. But the movie is also about Capote the man and, you know, his, his struggles with putting together this investigation and really it was kind of a a new kind of book Mm -hmm. and so very interesting movie um it stars philip seymour hoffman so you can never go wrong with that and that's true um unfortunately there's only a limited body of of his work um since he passed um anyways you can find that on canopy it's in the streaming video section of our e-library that's jocolibrary.org slash e-library and we uh have all the president's men both on dvd and the book by carl bernstein Hmm. and uh the movie has uh dustin hoffman and robert redford as they star in the the true story of how bob woodward and carl bernstein uncovered the white house involvement in the watergate break-in and It's pretty fantastic if you've never seen it. And then we'll go ahead and mention from our guest, Jim Cosgrove, in our catalog, you'll find the title that we discussed today, Ripple. It's in print, ebook, and downloadable audiobook formats. But you'll also see 12 other titles by Jim that have nothing to do about, uh, nothing to do with murder whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You'll see music and books for kids and. Um, just goes to show the diversity of talent that he is. Yeah. And for a full list of book report recommendations, you can find those on our webpage, jocolibrary.org slash uncovered. Joko Library Uncovered is a production of Johnson County Library and is recorded at the Central Resource Library in Overland Park, Kansas. We would love to read your thoughtful emails at uncovered at jocolibrary.org. Join our online conversation at facebook.com slash jocolibrary. Look for us on Twitter at jocolibrary. Our website is jocolibrary.org. 
Subscribe to Joko Library Uncovered through your favorite podcatcher or go to jocolibrary.podbean.com. Thanks for listening and come back in two weeks for more Joko Library Uncovered. Thank you.